0: Good morning. This is Red Sea Roundup. You're listening live here at the studio, top in College Station's uh, St. Mary's Catholic Center. My name is Pam Marvin, and it is March the 21st, a Tuesday. So, hello, Brazos Valley. We have our Waco neighbors and everybody here in the Brazos Valley in general. So, welcome.
1: Good morning, Central Texas. Good morning. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning, Pam. So,
0: how was your spring break?
1: Oh, let's just not talk about my oh, spring break.
0: okay. Let's talk
1: about yours.
0: Well, <laughs> we, I had we a... We had some
1: trials, but there are many others that have uh, far greater trials and tests than what the Maka family went through. But yeah, let's just say it's, it's nice to be back here. And uh, thank God we're all safe and sound and, you know, uh, broken bones right. and... poison ivy and other sicknesses later, you know,
2: Um, thanks be to God
1: that we have a, a, still have a vehicle that we can, you know, so I had a lot of things that happened. So, but we have some that are near and dear to our heart that have lost loved ones. So, you know, it puts all that into perspective and, uh, we pray for them and their soul and, uh, you know, things, God is good and, and our life trials (laughs) are, are nothing in compared to, to what could come. So, Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I uh, had a really nice time uh, camping with dear friends Terry Lipscomb and radio host Judy Como yes. the last few days, and so we want to we want to send our prayers and love to uh, Judy Como and her family um, as her father passed in the evening last night. So we want to pray for the repose of his soul. Indeed, and uh, we thank you for the gift of his life, Lord, and we ask you to be with his family. And comfort them in this uh, this time of difficulty and challenge during this Lenten season, and may we all uh, embrace our crosses and our challenges during this time of Lent, Lord. And with that, Lord, we just want to ask for the grace and peace to come over this radio show, this radio station, that we may use your words, be your hands, use your heart, Lord, to reach. Everyone who has ears to hear us this morning that you will inspire those to listen that need to hear what's going to be said today on the show. And we ask this in all through Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father, Son. Name of the and Father, Holy Son,
1: Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
0: Oh, okay, Dennis. Well, I have a very interesting caller that's holding on the line right now, folks. Um, this is Jess Fields. He is a dear friend of mine who has his his finger, let's say, on the pulse of a national, all things nationally going on and also as it relates to our Christian faith. So I want to welcome Jess Fields to the show. Good morning, Jess.
3: Hey, guys. Well, I'm, I'm very, um, very jealous in a way um, of uh, uh, the idea of fasting from social media. Um, <laughs> I think it's really, uh, you know, I think that's a brilliant idea. So uh, I'll have to keep that in mind for next year.
0: Yeah, it's been it's been odd for me because um, people have been asking me certain questions about things going on in the news, and I, I look at them with a blank face. Yeah, I mean this is why I stay so plugged in. It's because it's for information mostly. Um, but I find you know as you as you well know, it's kind of a rabbit hole you can really go down, and it can be all good stuff, you know. But it can sap up a lot of my time that I could be used in prayer or in silence with Christ. So that's that's part of my reason for unplugging a bit.
3: Well, I'm thinking it could be a year-round fast, uh, <laughs> yeah. so uh, that, that might be, uh, well, I, I might do, be a good I, idea.
0: But I do believe, and I think you're like-minded with me on this, that it is our responsibility to be plugged in on what's going on in the world and the nation, especially as it relates to our faith. So uh, with that in mind, I think uh, as we were talking off-air that you said there's something— Going on, let's, let's just give a a, a brief minute on uh, all things in the in in the political sphere that's related to us, and sure. then on the book you were mentioning.
3: Yeah, there is one big thing politically going on, and and um, if you are plugged in at all, it's probably something you've seen. But the Obamacare bill, uh, the Obamacare repeal bill, which isn't totally a repeal, it also replaces with a variety of. Uh, you know, tax credit structures and other things. It's very, very, very complicated. Um, But it's going to a vote here, um, I think, tomorrow, actually. And President Trump is lobbying really hard on this. Now, what's interesting is that, you know, this has been a priority of uh, Republicans in Congress for now several years, really throughout the Obama presidency. I think Republicans voted to repeal Obamacare like 50 times in Congress. You know, of course, it didn't go anywhere because the president was uh, Barack Obama. But now, um, you know, there's something on the table. But a lot of folks are saying it's really uh, very mild It's very weak. And so this is going to the Senate. Um, which is controlled by the GOP, but five Republicans have said that they are not currently there on it. And there's, the, the problem is the split is 52 to 48. So if you lose five Republican senators, you, it's not going to pass. So I think in the next few days, it'll be very, very interesting uh, to see what happens. And, and from the Christian perspective, you know, looking at it and, and wondering, well, what does it really mean for, for people of faith? Uh, I think what we have to be really, really keen on, and I haven't seen a lot about this, is what ends up happening uh, to any kind of subsidies that could potentially fund uh, entities that perform uh, abortions or encourage or refer uh, for abortion. That, that is always a concern uh, when you're talking about government involvement in healthcare. And the reality is that the plan is on the table being voted for does not pull government totally out of health care. It creates this elaborate credit system uh, to, you know, help people to get health care. But I think what we have to be concerned about is making sure that there's these carve outs there that this would never, ever go to any entity performing abortion. So that's what I would encourage people to take a look at. And I, I have not seen a lot on it. In fact, I think many Republican members of Congress have commented that they haven't even seen Um, you know, all aspects of the plan that will probably end up being voted on, they just added like 40 pages to the bill. So it's very, very complex. And we certainly need to pray for our lawmakers that they uh, use their discernment uh, wisely here, because it is really a very, very important thing. Obviously, keeping Obamacare would also be disastrous. um, But, um, you know, but but having a a really bad replacement would would not be great either. So we have to we have to pray and, and hope that things go well with that.
0: Okay, Jess, I want to interrupt you a second, because joining me in the studio right now is Father Albert Laforet. Does anybody ever call you Father Albert?
2: If they're really French.
0: (laughs) I'm not really French, but when I saw your name, I I pronounced it Albert because Laforet would would assume that it's Albert.
2: In French-speaking countries, it would be, yes, but But it's the United States, so I usually go by Albert.
0: Okay, well, this is Jess Phils we have on the phone, Father, and he's going to be talking to us about this new book that's really um, that you may have heard of. Jess, why don't you talk about that? and Father, if you want to chime in at any point, please let you know feel free to do so.
3: Yeah, hey good morning, Father. Good morning. Um, uh, Albert, Albert sounds cooler, so I'm going to go with <laughs> Father out there. Um, but um, so there is a, a kind of a big discussion going on right now among, uh, I guess if you can use the term Christian intellectual which kind of a, uh, sounds kind of a silly term. But, um, but there's quite a discussion right now because a book was released last week called The Benedict Option, um, and this was released by a writer named Rod Dreher. Um, Dreher is a, uh, a professional blogger and journalist, and currently he blogs for a, a magazine called The American Conservative, but he's written for National Review in the past and been a journalist over his career. Um, but Dreer lives in, in St. Francisville, Louisiana. Um, he is actually an Orthodox Christian. Uh, and he goes and talks in this book, The Benedict Option, basically about uh, St. Benedict of Nursia, who um, is the founder of the Benedictine, the Order of, of St. Benedict. Uh, and essentially, back in his day, he, he was born in 480 A.D., uh, Rome was kind of starting to become a, a, a moralist uh, disaster. You know, I mean, they were really abandoning uh, the Christian precepts that had followed in the Christianization of the Roman Empire under Constantine. And uh, by the year 480, which wasn't that much much long after that, about a, a century after that, they were already starting to decay in, within the city, and the population had really declined. And so. Uh, Saint Benedict kind of wandered off into the mountains and lived in a cave for a few years, uh, emerged and felt the calling from God to found, uh, monasteries, and which he did. And the order of Saint Benedict went on to found a number of monasteries throughout Europe. And the point of the book really is to say that, uh, um, what Saint Benedict did, which is to seek, uh, um, as Christ says in, I think it's John 17, to be in the world but not of the world, to seek to be somewhat separate as Christian communities and yet engage with the outside world, that uh, that is really what restored Christendom and kept the fire burning uh, in Europe for centuries. Um, and that's probably uh, it's probably very true in a lot of ways. And that today we live in a very secularized culture, obviously, that not only embraces uh, the killing of the unborn. But also, gay marriage uh, is now normative, and we're even getting to a point where uh, transgender children are on the cover of National Geographic. Uh, just just incredible things that, you know, I don't think anybody would have even expected 10 or 15 years ago. Well, just slow down just a
0: second. Let me ask you a couple of sure. questions. Okay, so you're sure. saying this is getting a lot of traction out in the political sphere. Um, obviously, none of us are going to be able to go up the mountain to live— you know, in this, in the Benedictine <laughs> rule, but is there sure. like practical things that he speaks of that you could, you can live like in the everyday world? Like I, I'm, I'm curious.
3: Um, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I think the purpose of it is, you know, obviously we can't all go become uh, Benedictine monks. Um, uh, you know, what a blessing, I mean, to those who are, who are in monasteries who are praying for the world and praying for uh, our salvation but um but it is pretty astonishing idea that you think about as our culture becomes more and more secular uh i think the point here is not to say that we just you know isolate ourselves completely but that we start to look uh for uh christian communities um and uh, uh the opportunity to kind of live apart in that way to have our own institutions that we can protect uh even as the culture uh, Decline. So, so one of the things the book, and I'm not finished with the book yet, halfway through. But one of the things that the book talks about um, is, for example, the idea that um, Christians can have institutions that are kind of apart. So you think about universities, and you think about uh, charities, and you think about education systems. You know, if you think about our public education system, and you look at what is happening in the culture. Um, the first place that the, the people who are trying to change the culture go is to the education system. Right. right? They right. go into the schools, and now even in elementary school, not only teaching about homosexuality, but also, indeed, transgenderism. And they're making this normative among our kids. In hospitals so as, as well, we, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And so as we see that and the pressure on the secular institutions to change and to conform— Um, we we start to realize that if Christians are going to maintain um, our values in this culture, we have to somewhat be apart, And that doesn't mean we just withdraw to a cave, but we do have to have institutions that are separate. So I think the point of the book is really to call for Christians to re-examine where we are in the culture. And frankly, part of what the book does is it, it convicts all of us. I mean, as Christians in Western society, looking at where we are and saying, you know, have we as churches and as Christian communities somewhat failed to challenge the secular culture and to live in the world, but not in the world, but not of the world. And and truthfully, we have in some ways. What I think I hear you saying, Jess, what I
0: think I hear you saying is like, it's a caution for us not to get really soaked up in the culture, to continue to live our Christian faith and be strong in our uh, commitment to virtue and not waver, which I think, you know, you've heard that old adage about how do you boil the frog? You turn up the heat really slowly so they don't jump out. Right. Um, Right. Which is what our culture has really been doing to all of us and our families. But I think in this last four years, especially the water's gotten really hot and a lot of us are jumping out.
2: Let me add the experience in France, if I could, please. In France, it's a much more secular culture. And secularism is kind of institutionalized with the complete separation, laicite, which is uh, complete laitization. In other words, this, the religion has no place in civil society. is kind of a, even a hot political topic in the presidential campaign in France currently. However, Catholic monastic life is very strong, including monastic life for families. They actually have family monastery where husband, wife, children live in a monastery. And your family actually lives, as it were, a monastic lifestyle. In other words, you take care of your, you you educate your children and people go work. It's not as if you don't have a job. You go off and you work, but you live in a monastic community. And it's a very interesting experiment that French have been doing um, because they have all sorts of ruined monasteries all over the country that are being unused, that some of these people have actually built these monasteries and you live a very common life. Um, in a a very hostile culture. French culture is much more hostile to faith than even ours. So it's very interesting that you can actually see even families who will take up the rule of St. Benedict for families and adapt it Mm -hmm. to family life. So your children, everybody has to contribute to a a, a common good in the monastery, but also, again, you you live a, a common life with education, with your living prayer. You have a priest come and say Mass for you things like that. Um, so it's a very interesting um, experience that the French have gone through for, for the last maybe 20 years. So it's a very well, interesting If I could
3: thing. ask, I could ask so, you, Father Albert, because you, you're probably far more qualified to speak on this than I am, but um, it, when you talk about the rule of St. Benedict, I mean, mm-hmm. it seems like the rule of St. Benedict is not intended to be um, just a life of harsh suffering, but instead no. is supposed to... Kind of keep order within a monastery. Could you talk a little bit about how that would affect maybe a family and how families sure. could potentially live in the rule of St. Benedict?
2: Well, it, it's, kind of, it's, it's kind of the structure. In other words, what St. Benedict was, structure life. And I always kind of jokingly say that there were three day hours in your day. So eight hours for work, eight hours for prayer, eight hours for sleep. And there's a certain level, and you can even see in the rule of St. Benedict, for instance, your daily portion of wine. So uh, it's very interesting how they would adapt life, but you have to adapt those kinds of things for families. For instance, if you have young children, well, they're going to need to sleep 10 hours or 12 hours, you know, things like that. Uh, and however, the, 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 the particularities of things, but you, it's a rhythm of life. So you get up in the morning, you pray, you have a meal, you know, midday, you have a prayer and a meal, evening prayer and a meal, things like this. So that there's a rhythm in your life. So that there's a balance between work and prayer. And that's kind of how they do it. It's not, a, you're not going to be praying eight hours a day. It's just not going to happen. I was going to
0: say, can I sign up for that one?
2: Yeah, I'm going to say, uh, it's I, not necessarily, in family I life, it's like, that, I, geez. I'm going to say, I don't think you can get uh, the children to sit in church for eight hours. Uh, but as far as, uh, because children need to go out and play and things. So uh, it's a, it's a way of structuring life more than it is kind of being, you know, in a kind of a contemplative convent, mm. you kind of open yourself up to the communal side of it. In other words, you contribute to the whole. There are many Benedictine monasteries, particularly in Europe, where you have a great deal of brothers, for example, who do agriculture, or they do, mm. they do their trade, or beer. You know, you like good beer. Uh, European monasteries are very famous for their beer, or wine or, you know. Coffee. Coffee. That's in, in uh, Wyoming, right? Uh, so, <laughs> Sorry. But uh, I don't know if they did it, it was coffee in, in Europe. But it, it's very interesting because you, again, it's the, the, the way you structure things is kind of making it a, a communal life that is kind of adaptive to things. And I think that's what they do. They try to adapt it to a, a mm-hmm. family life. So you can't necessarily, you're not going to be that separated. But in a way you are because you're living in a monastery and you have your you know, your your kids are near you. It's not like your 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 children are on another side of the monastery. <laughs> no. Yeah. In the middle of the night there's gonna be a child climbing in between mom and dad because they're scared. That's life. But well, well, let,
0: Father let me ask you this along and Jess too, if you have a question, um, If someone wanted to just adapt one small type of Benedictine rule, as we live in this community, say, Mm -hmm. like for my family, um, what is one small rule you think is pretty awesome that they live on a regular basis that we could adopt or adapt to in our homes?
2: I would say balance. Mm -hmm. To have a proper balance in your life. Mm -hmm. And I would say that would be the key for anybody. Do you have enough balance in your life? Do you you really, uh, I always challenge people, do you sleep enough? It's mm-hmm. so always a, a first question, or is is work so dominant in your life that you you the work dominates your life? You know the people that work twelve hour days, seven days a week. Is that really proper balance in your life? Mm-hmm. And that's where mm-hmm. you kind of bring it back to say, well, no, perhaps I only need to work eight hours a day, five days a week, or something like that. So you cut back your amount of work. Why? Because I have to spend time with my family, with my you know, with my children, taking them to activities that are proper, you know, things like that, right. that, that you have. The odd thing is like people don't even eat together anymore. You have families yes. that don't have right. meals together. So.
0: Well, thank you, Father Albert. And thank you, Jess, for bringing this book to our yeah. attention, The Benedictine Option. It's really good to... To ponder on and Mm -hmm. and take what's good. I heard an expression, I think it was a Father Baron expression that says sometimes you eat the watermelon and Mm -hmm. you spit out the seeds. Right. Right. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, thanks for joining us and I'm hoping to hear from you again next month, Jess. Thanks. Thank you. And with that...
3: And have a a wonderful rest of your Lent. Thank
0: you. I appreciate that, Jess. Thank you, Jess. God bless you.
3: Bye-bye.
0: And with that, we're going to go to a break but when we return, we're going to be talking about the extraordinary form of the Mass with Father Albert LaFerre.
1: And one thing that we're going to talk about as well is the consecration event that is going on in multiple places in our diocese of which this mass is one of them, an unofficial consecration event for those in our central Texas area. Just to let you know this Saturday, we'll be having our tower blessing and our station consecration for K Y a R. So we've got a blessing going on at 10 AM this Saturday morning at our tower site, go to our website at red We would love to have a big crowd there to have a a family rosary, a consecration prayer and blessing of that tower site and station and uh, of all of us in attendance there as well. And we've been preparing for this for uh, 30 days now. Today is day 30 of our preparation for consecration of our station to Jesus through Mary. So we hope to have all of you out there that can come and go to our website, redsearadio.org to find directions on how to get there. So we'll have a break and then we'll be right back with Father Albert Laforet.
0: Come back. Uh, this is Pam Marvin on Red Sea Roundup this morning, and joining me is from St. Thomas Aquinas, Father Albert Laforet. Good morning again, Father. Good morning. Well, Father is joining me today because we have a very special event going on at St. Thomas Aquinas this Saturday at noon, I believe, Father. Is that correct? Yes, uh huh. And if you wouldn't mind, just, just back up a little bit and tell me how St. Thomas Aquinas um, got to be a location in the diocese for this consecration to Jesus through Mary. How did that come about, first of all?
2: When I was the rector of the cathedral in Austin, um, one of our parishioners in the cathedral organized um, this consecration and has been doing so for many years. Kind of, um, it's like Texas Jesus through Mary is their, I believe their wax Jesus through Mary Texas or something like this. Anyway, they, Uh, we're very dedicated to um, promote the uh, St. Louis de Montfort consecration, Jesus, Jesus through Mary. And they would give you a book and they would sponsor that. And we have been doing it um, at the cathedral for, for many years. And when I came here, um, I was asked if you'd like to, to be a site for the Brazos Valley. And I said, Oh, I would love to do that. And so, um, This group in Austin helped us to kind of organize it and promote it. And so that's people, I don't know how many, but uh, you could go online and they would send you a free book. Mm -hmm. And so that you could sign up and do it. And so it's probably the first time they've done it here, but it's kind of a diocesan-wide Right.
0: Now I'm familiar with it. I actually mm. have joined that website a few mm. years ago and mm. received the book and, and so forth and so on. So that's all pretty right. cool. But n- I bet not all of the parishes are going to have the extraordinary form.
2: No, we're the, the only one with the extraordinary form. Ah,
0: yes. Okay. Okay. Mm. So I'd like to know kind of your history. So y- you haven't been a priest all your life, right? No. You're, uh, you're later in I life. I'm in my
2: 15th year. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, so tell, give me a little history of you and your love of this extraordinary form and how that came to be.
2: I first went to an extraordinary mass when I was in seminary, so I was kind of enthralled by it and kind of, probably like most people, you're kind of taken back. What's going on, you know, because you're used to the, to the Novus Ordo, and it's kind of, um, you're always knowing what the priest is doing and saying. And in the extraordinary form, you don't know what the priest is saying at the, a particular moment because his back is turned to you. So I was kind of, hmm. And when the Modo proprio of St. Benedict came out, I mean, Pope Benedict, I decided the, the parish where I was stationed in Waco uh, petitioned the pastor to, to have an extraordinary form of the Mass. And so I decided that it was the people were wanting the extraordinary form, so I better learn it was kind of the uh, motivation mm-hmm. for me. I hadn't really, okay. you know, I hadn't really done much and it really wasn't available. You had to have, it was called the Indult Mass before. And when uh, Pope Benedict made it kind of, you didn't have to have the permission of the bishop, you have right by his motu proprio to celebrate it, I learned it. And um, it was really, um, it was kind of difficult at first to learn it because you have to, the the gestures and the, all the um, prayers and things are very, the rubrics are very complicated.
0: Mm. You have to be well, able to do that. How, at what point? I mean, how long have you been a priest at this point? Like, you were how many? How many? About years? five years. Five years in your mm-hmm.
2: priesthood.
0: Okay, and so you took it on yourself to learn it. And how long did how long did that take?
2: It took about six months to a year. Wow. I had a a friend of mine who was a professor at the at Baylor University taught me how to do it. He um, is an August, Augustinian scholar and very fluent in Latin.
0: Is it? Is it Dr. Oh. Foley by yes, chance? Uh-huh. Yeah, I interviewed him the other day on the
2: radio. So shout out
0: to Dr. Foley again. Shout out to, to Michael Foley, yes. Yay.
2: <laughs> and he uh, plug his book um uh, Drinking his, with the, the Saints. Saints. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: That's what I interviewed him over. That's such a small world.
2: And we, yes. you know, we
0: now are broadcasting this show in
2: Waco. Yeah, sure. Right? No, it's kind of because uh, Professor Foley is a is just a great guy and uh, is a great scholar and um, so for example, the materials we're going to have uh, for, for the masses this um, Saturday are from Michael does those for me. He, oh, the little, wow. the propers and the right. book that we're going to be using with the ordinary in it. He's the one that produces them for people. So, and he does little explanations in there. So it's kind of nice because um, he really knows what he's talking about. He's been on many Catholic yeah. liturgical things and president of the yep. liturgical society or something. He's been very uh, well thought of in liturgical circles as well as his work on St. Augustine. So
0: Yeah, I just have to say, Father, when you start to talk about, here I am, this is a whole another week, whole different topic. We're Mm -hmm. still talking about um, Michael Foley in Waco, bringing Waco in, Mm -hmm. and how it applies to what we're doing here this weekend. And I just get overwhelmed with this. See how God loves us. He loves us so well that we have this kind of knowledge information right right by. So Uh. with that please go ahead and, and start to tell me more about it because like as a convert, mm-hmm. I've never been to one. I, right. I, and now a few years ago, at Thomas Aquinas, father Curtis mm-hmm. did a, a mass in Latin. So how does that, I mean, Oh, I know it's different, but can you explain that part, how it's different?
2: Well, the, the extraordinary form today is the mass of uh, St. John the 23rd in 1962. So it's not a very old mass in terms of, there was a couple of changes that um, he placed in the missal. Most notably, he added the uh, asking for Saint Joseph's intercession during the the what's called the Communicantes when you recall all the saints in the first part of the Mass uh, or the Eucharistic prayer. So he added Saint uh, Joseph to it. But prior to that, it, it's the Mass of the Council of Trent when the Church basically decided to codify the liturgy because at that time uh, there were different forms of the mass all over the church. Tell me what you mean by codify. In other words, they made it, um, this is the missile for the church and you're going to use it.
0: Uh, okay.
2: kind of thing. it made it a kind of a mandatory thing. In other words, everyone in the church would have the same book mm-hmm. and have the same missile, which mm-hmm. is what we, what we basically use today. And the kind of the genius of it was that, uh, they use Latin as language, because Latin is a dead language. No one speaks Latin. Not a, You know, unless you're really into Latin and like to speak Latin. But you're not going to go to any country on the planet that speaks Latin. Right. If you went to the Vatican, you would, people don't speak Latin in the Vatican either. So it's a dead language and the meaning of words don't change. Mm-hmm. Therefore, everyone had to learn the language. So wherever you went in the world, same mass. And you could follow it because it's the same mass. And so... Mm-hmm. There was kind of the genius of it, making a universal language and a universal um, mass. There was a certain genius in the 16th century because we were just kind of going, the the church was beginning to expand as the new worlds were found and explorers were going places. And the priests actually were able to say uh, they memorized the mass of the Holy Trinity. So you could go anywhere in the world because you've had memorized that mass and you could say that mass every day. Wow. So it was a very interesting way of, of allowing missionary work to continue without having to worry about, you know, having a book with you, you could, you, the priest knew the mass by heart. Therefore it mm-hmm. kind of spread. And that's kind of how it, most, if you ask a senior who was, was, you know, grew up in the forties and fifties, well, that's the mass that father said, and mm-hmm. they were very accustomed to it. And most people will, start to tell you that they didn't like all those Latin declensions. Well, what what you're saying,
0: though, too, is that, you know, I keep hearing the word universal church. It's so beautiful as, you know, well, I came from an atheist household Mm -hmm. and one of the things that really struck me about how awesome the Catholic faith was, was I could go anywhere in the world and still kind of know what's going on, no matter what language it was in because it was celebrated so similarly. Right.
2: And it would be the same if you went to mass anywhere in the world you wouldn't understand necessarily in chinese or vietnamese or korean or whatever but you know what's going on and you basically have the translation in your head because it's the same math it's just mm-hmm. the, the words you use are different but it's this you know when they say the lord be with you in chinese i have no idea how that works but and the response people it's the same thing mm. doesn't matter you might not understand necessarily what's being spoken in the homily or something but the mass itself it's the same. It's the same words. It's just the way you translate. Okay. That's usually the first jarring moment for most people when you come into an external form is the language. Mm-hmm. I don't understand a word that's being spoken. Okay. Uh, but actually, if when you think about it, you actually do know it.
0: Right. Okay. You know, so. Well, I want you to start because we have only about 20 minutes left. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want you to, to kind of walk us through Saturday because I know okay. there's a lot of instruction because it is different we want to kind of, um, this be kind of a precursor or uh, to that Mass. So people, we could possibly put this up on the St. Thomas Aquinas website as a podcast later, and people can listen to this section. So if you're coming to the Mass on Saturday, Mm -hmm. what do you want everyone to know?
2: I would say first to allow yourselves to to realize that you can pray in the pew and be fully active and participating in the Mass. That's probably the first and most important thing is that the majority of the mass is, is silent. In other words, you're not going to hear what I'm saying. Mm. And so it's calling you to pray in the pew by yourself without knowing, particularly in the Eucharistic prayer, there's you will not hear anything except nobis quoque peccatoribus, which is, you know, forgive us that we are sinners, um, towards the end of the Eucharistic prayer. That's the only part that is out loud. And, but to, to enter into the mass by praying in the pew, which is different, you're used to having noise, most of the time it's going to be silent. And so you have to enter into a, a more silent way of praying mm-hmm. and not to be afraid of that. Just because uh, mass generally is, is, a, is a dialogue, we call it. Mm-hmm. It's not so much a dialogue. And it's you in the pew and the people in the pew don't be afraid to pray.
0: Well, you know, I want to just take a second um, Mm -hmm. because in our culture, silence is is, is kind of like a lost on people. People are actually very fearful of it these days, Father, Mm -hmm. so I want to encourage our listeners to embrace silence, embrace mm-hmm. the uncomfortableness of it, because right. it is there. God wants to talk to us. So I, as right. I'm hearing this, I'm like, oh, that is so beautiful right. to give that moment, especially in the presence of the Catholic community right. and in the, in the form of the mass. I'm just right. like, oh my
2: goodness. Right. So, so that's part of it is is to, to be comfortable praying. I think that's, and not to be dis, just totally disheveled by the fact that it's all in Latin. Mm-hmm. Um, the homily will be in English, so don't worry. Um, but as far as that goes, I would say just be comfortable praying in the pew, and not to be disturbed by the other thing. That's that is very different because we are doing a high mass, so every all a lot of what I'm going to be doing is singing or chanting um, to allow yourself to let the the chant of the mass. Speak to you.
0: Okay, so let me, for clarification, I, I did um, find out there is a high and there is a low mass. Right. And the high mass is actually sung and the low right. mass is not. Is that what recited. the difference is? Uh-huh. It's recited, okay.
2: Just and there's no incense or, or things like that? In the that low? In the low mass, okay. Right? Okay. So it's a little bit, it's a simpler mass. But a high mass is to be sung. And so, and you use incense. So that you'll see me uh, incense. Uh, at the beginning and at the offertory, or at the gospel and at the offertory. So, and those are all prescribed, by the way. That's all prescribed in rubrics. It's not like I'm, I'm inventing something. No, you have to follow the rubric. So it's all prescribed. So that part is to be comfortable with the fact that, for instance, when I start the mass, the, it, the mass starts with what's called the prayers at the foot of the altar, mm. and so it's it's reciting a psalm and and to. And to do the confidio, in other words, I confess to Almighty God. So, so. you
0: did mention that, that um, Dr. Foley had done mm-hmm. something, so people will have something right, in their in the, hands right, as they come into book. the mat. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, so they can you'll kind of the, follow along.
2: Right, you, you won't hear it because the choir will be singing. Um, but I will be, as I come in, I'll start the prayers at the foot of the altar while the choir is singing. And that's where the, the other thing that's kind of disheveling is that um, I'm not with the choir. Hmm. Um, I have to recite all of the prayers, and the choir can't do it for me. Whereas sometimes, uh, for example, in the uh, parts of the Mass, in the Novus so do we do it together. Mm-hmm. The Holy, Holy, the Lamb of God, all the, all those things we do together, where in the, the extraordinary form, the priest does it separate, and the choir is on their own. So it's very interesting. So, for instance, at the Sanctus, you know, Sanctus, Sanctus, or holy, holy, holy! I will begin the the Eucharistic prayer, and I'll be probably into the community contest in order to say names of the saint quietly to myself, and you'll still be singing. Mm-hmm. So don't be disturbed by all of that. I mean, people can be very disturbed by that. Kind, um, kind
0: of the duality that's going right. on. So we're like right. two ways of praying, sort of. Right. Speak, so that,
2: that yeah, i must say it, yeah, yeah. I must say as as the choir is singing, and if you're, you're let the chant speak to you because the chant is actually very beautiful. Um, it's very ancient. So you let the, the chant speak while the priest goes on. So the meaning at the, you won't hear the prayers of the foot of the altar. The first thing you'll hear me say is dominus fobiscum, you know, the Lord be with you. And then I will do the opening collect. So all of the parts of the mass leading up to that, I would have done. So that's the prayers of the foot of the altar, which is all those prayers. It's the confidio, it's all that. And then I will, again, the, the choir would have probably already finished saying the introit, which is the entrance antiphon. I will say that to myself, and then I will go and say the Kyrie. I will then intone the Gloria. Actually, you'll hear me, Gloria in excelsis Deo. What, it, I what want do you mean that.
0: by intone it?
2: In other words, I begin it. So I'll say ah. um, the choir doesn't say Gloria in excelsis Deo. I do. And then I turn my microphone off and I continue to recite it while the choir begins to sing it. Mm. So I go Gloria in excelsis Deo. I stop singing. I go silent. The choir sings. And at that point, I'm going to be reciting it. And because the Gloria is a little bit longer, part, you might see me go sit down. And so I'll go sit down Mm. and, and allow the choir to finish this Gloria. And towards the end of it, I will get up and I will say, Dominus vobiscum, and then we will pray. So, um, and then I will read the the epistle, uh, and then the, the choir will sing the the antiphon before the gospel. Then I'll I will sing the gospel. Actually, it will be chanted, and mm-hmm. in, in Latin. And then mm-hmm. I'm, when at the conclusion of that, then I'll actually go and read the readings in English.
0: Okay, now is this. Done, so, this is all done with your back to us, correct? Yes. Okay, and are you can, can you move the actual altar back some, or is no, it it's stationary? It's,
2: it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's cemented into the floor. So, um, no, I actually, you, you see me, you, you one of the things you see is move me side to side. Okay. So, um, there's some prayers I say in the center. There's some on, on, when you're looking at the right side, which is considered the epistle side, and then the left side is considered the gospel side. So I will, the book will actually move. The book, book the missal will be on the right side, and the altar server actually brings it over and puts it on the left side of the altar, where I will sing the gospel. Really? Right. Because that's the, the two places that you, you say the gospel are from the left side, which is the gospel of the Mass of the day. And at the end of the Mass, you do uh, the, the prologue to St. John, is always um, recited at the end of Mass.
0: So you'll do all the readings. So you'll do the, yes, uh, yes, there is no, yes, no lay ministers. at no, all. Okay. No, I'm following you.
2: So it, yeah, i may say it's, it's a little different. You have to have the clergy. The other thing that is probably difficult, which you're not used to it is kneeling down to, to receive Holy communion and receiving it on the tongue. Mm-hmm. And so there's going to be an altar server with a patent, mm-hmm. you know, the little things with, it a handle on it and you'll stick it right. under your chin. Um, and they'll play, I'll place the Eucharist. And I think there'll be a deacon there. Place the Eucharist on your tongue, okay. and you don't have to say anything. The priest says it all, so it's Dominus, Jesu Christi custodia custodiant animatum in vita miternam, Amen. I say the whole thing for each person. So may the body of Christ bring you, uh, guard you, to eternal life, Amen.
0: Wow, that's a little different than what we hear. Right, it's a, a, you
2: just say the body of Christ and you say Amen. But this is, may, may Jesus Christ guard you, custodiant animatum wow. your soul to eternal life. Wow. <laughs> so that's very beautiful.
0: Oh I know. I just feel it's like wash of yeah, and coming and out and it's, and it's
2: a very passive of a coming of a a a the church just asks you to receive. And that's the one thing about if you uh, I've noticed when you kneel, you have a chance to prepare yourself for Holy Communion. You have a moment to actually say a, a short prayer of Thanksgiving before you can get up so you mm-hmm. just kind of you just stick your tongue out. That's okay. You can stick your tongue out at father. That's the first time and the only time that you can stick your tongue out at me. <laughs> is that holy <laughs> communion? I always tell the children. Go, ah. But anyway, <laughs> but it's a it's a moment where you can actually prepare and and pause a moment before you have to get up.
0: Okay, so it'll um, be
2: in the front pew. That
0: that's what I imagine. Right. So I want to take a little bit of that time because that'll mm-hmm. be one of the real active things that the participants right. will be doing. So as I understand it, I guess the ushers will have the special. Will the be ushers?
2: Uh, I'm not help? sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. So because the way it's I understand difficult. it, everyone will need to be along those front two pews right. kneeling to receive Holy Communion. Right.
2: You come in the, the center and go out the, the side. Yeah.
0: The You're going to need someone directing traffic. Yeah. yeah no, we'll we'll right. hopefully
2: have someone directing traffic. Just have them go in the front pew and go to the end and kneel. Right. And then you just once, and then you, the priest or deacon goes from, from the left side or, you know, from the, Far side to the inside. It's
0: inside, right.
2: From the outside and, to the inside and then.
0: And once they're done, they would rise and, and, go back and move to the, pew. To the next right. pew. Right. Okay. So I want to recap just a little bit sure. just because, you know, I'm just like a lay person and you're just like, the, you've got all this really cool sure, knowledge. So yeah. I'm going to break it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. So as you come in to Mass on Saturday, you will receive some type of pamphlet that will kind of tell you mm-hmm. what's going on, when it's going on. Mm-hmm. And Father asks that, you know, that to, to just really understand that this is really about a prayerful presence during this Mass. There mm-hmm. won't be a lot of words, um, mm-hmm. but which words there are, there will be a lot in Latin that you actually chant or sing. Right. And there will be some choir that is doing that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'll parts. come in and you'll sit. Is the sitting and the standing all kind it's of It's all same? in there.
2: No, it's not. Um, ah, okay. So uh, the first thing that you'll do is kneel. Most of the, you kneel a lot more in the, in the mass. Okay. Um, you stand for the gospel as, as usual, but most of it is, and there are directions and there's going to be like a blue book. Mm-hmm. And so that, that will be in there and you'll, you'll see kneel, um, sit, um, stand. So there's, you'll see that in the, in the blue book. So just, you have to follow that. The blue book is called, it will be like what's called the ordinary right. prayers that are said at every mass. And then there'll be another sheet with the readings and the proper prayers. So it's called the proper. So the entrance Antiphon, the first reading, the gospel reading. In English? In, it's, well, it's Latin English. So you have them both. Oh, So you'll excellent. see Latin on one side, English on the other. So if you catch the, and that's the way the blue book is. So there's Latin on one side, English on the other. So you can kind of see uh, r- see what the English translation is, and you'd be surprised. Oh, that's kind of same as the if you realize most of the words are basically the same. There's not mm-hmm. that much. There is some significant changes, but not that many where you wouldn't understand. Okay. There's no sign of peace. Would be another one.
0: Oh, okay. There's no yeah. sign of peace. No that, sign of peace.
2: So that's a, a private prayer of the priest that I'll pray silently, mm. which is a little different than the new one. They, but it's one of the, it's one of the fun things about knowing the old rite. You f- see what happened, why they did what they did to the new rite, because ah. you understand they they suppressed the prayers at the foot of the altar. They um, initiated the sign of peace. Um, the Our Father is now prayed by everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, in the old rite, the Euchar in this rite, the the Our Father is part of the Eucharistic prayer.
0: Okay. I no. want to sidebar just a second uh-huh. because I actually get this question a lot from sure. friends about the holding of hands during the Our Father. Is my understanding that that is not part of the mass no. in
2: it's not in part ordinary, of the rubrics, right? It's
0: not. But why do you think that's so widespread? People think that's real normative, and so when they're asked, I think it was. To, I think or, it was
2: like. Well, I may say. I always say it's it's a matter of one's personal piety. Uh, if your family, because during the '60s, it was very big when I was a kid. Um, kind of to hold hands as a symbol of unity. Um, it can be, I would just say, it's it's your personal choice. I don't think right. I'm not there to tell you how to help you well, pray best. So. Per,
0: I personally struggle because I don't want to be too legalistic, but at the same time, I enjoy having that privately to myself, but right. I don't
2: want to... Right, and appear- that's why you, know, you don't want to feel cold and stiff. Yeah. Um, at the same time, you know, I, I generally... I prefer not to. Um, I never really, Yeah. I, I, that's not my, um, was not necessarily my taste, holding strangers' hands. Um,
0: you, my practice but, now is that I hold my family's hand on Sunday, but right. if you catch me at daily mass,
2: I'm not holding hands. No, and then and, and that's not, it's not necessary. It's not a, a gesture that the church requires. It's kind of, it's, again, it's local custom if it's, you know, sometimes that's just the highlight of the mass for people. You know, my, I got to hold hands with the people around me and it was very important. Um, but I, I think it's really your individual sensibilities. You don't have okay. to. You're not required to. And I don't think you're mean if you don't want to. I think it's a moment where you can actually, it's a p- place where you're yeah. supposed to be praying. And if you have it more, if it's more comfortable to pray with your hands, just, you know, uh, you know, just held, you hold your own hands.
0: Right. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad this came up in the conversation, Father, because I think that as the laity in the community need to understand that it really isn't a part of the mass, right. uh, that is personal preference. Right. And it's interesting to note, though, that that's not part of the Latin mass. So no. um, is there anything else kind of like that that we won't be doing or maybe something other we'll do, be doing that uh,
2: wasn't um, before? No, I would say that, again, it, it, a lot of it's going to be silent. You're, you're, you're asked to really pray in the pew kind of silently, um, the way you receive Holy Communion, the end of the mass is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Um, in this map, because, um, I'll give you a a blessing. And then I go over and I, I say the last gospel, which is kind of the gospel, the prologue to St. John, I'll recite that. Mm -hmm. And, um, so you'll, you'll, I actually do it. So Mike, so you can follow along, um, in you know, a high mass, it's not necessarily done that way, but I usually adapt it so that people can hear in principio, Eret deum. anyway, mm. that's in the beginning when it's God. Um, and so you go through that at the end of the mass. And then in this particular mass, because it's a, a special mass for the consecration to Jesus through Mary, then at the end of that, when I finish the last gospel, I'm going to kneel, and then we'll recite that prayer together. So that's going to be a little bit different. So that prayer will be available as well. You'll get that when you come into church on Saturday, um, the consecration prayer. So that was my year. next question,
0: mm-hmm. and that's going to be done when?
2: At the end of Mass. as, soon as I mean, the, after, right, basically. As soon as, yeah, basically after Mass, mm-hmm. and that's the way we've done it. I think the, we've always done it at the end of Mass before the final procession.
0: Okay.
2: So that's kind of what we'll do again here. And that's kind of a good place for it.
0: Will there be any any cool Latin Marian songs being sung? I
2: believe so. I think the the uh, Brazos Valley School is yeah. is coming up for us and, and doing that. I I can't tell you their selections because I really don't know. I leave the the expertise to the experts. Of course. You know, I don't. I'm not a musical. Ah, the so Scola. They're very beautiful. They, oh. they they practice very well, and they because it's a Marian feast day. So I'm not sure they have portions where mm-hmm. they actually there is silence and they can sing a hymn um, or a motet or something they can do. And so it's very nice. So you'll hear them do some, you know, as it were, performances. So
0: that sounds absolutely wonderful. So um, listeners, if you are interested in coming to the extraordinary form of the mass, a high extraordinary form Mm -hmm. at noon at St. Thomas Aquinas this Saturday, the 25th. Mm-hmm. Uh, show up early. Get your At 11:30. We're
2: having the rosary. So, ah. if you'd like to, to we, we're going to be praying the rosary at 11:30 so in Latin. I think it won't be in
0: English.
2: <laughs> okay. in uh, fact, <laughs> I had to find someone to pray the rosary. Ah, anyway, <laughs> we'll find somebody. I think. Somebody so, if you're listening
0: to. and you're a member of at Thomas Aquinas, let Father know you're willing to to lead that rosary.
2: No. Okay.
0: Okay. Well, we still have a few more minutes left. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I want to ask you a couple of questions about: Is this Something that you, ha- you you mentioned it briefly, but I didn't really catch it. You don't have to have permission, or you do have to have permission to do this mass from in the diocese. No,
2: no, no. It's a it's um, the the Holy Father gave permission for priests to um, say the mass. Now I can't go in and and make one of our regular masses Latin. I would have to ask the permission from the bishop for that, which uh, we frankly we we have. To our masses are all full in English. So I, I don't see anticipate me being able to do more masses, but um, that would have to be come from the Bishop, but this is an extra mass on a feast day mm-hmm. that is not part of our regular schedule masses. And yep. so I can, I have the, the ability as a pastor that, to do that, to do it publicly and th- I can always say it privately, but because uh, this is a, um, a public Mass and it's but it's for feast day and for a special occasion mm-hmm. uh, the other Mass I did uh, extraordinary form was on All Souls Day which is a very beautiful Mass it's a Requiem Mass and, mm-hmm. um, and all you do is have to look at the classical music repertoires of the great composers all did Requiem Masses
0: Wow you just tied so, that together for me I didn't, I didn't right. realize that till this moment Right That's so uh, you cool. know uh,
2: if you like I think probably the most famous Requiem Masses is, is uh, 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 Mozart's Requiem Mass, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, it's only about 45 minutes, but you have to have a full orchestra and things like this to be able to do it. But it's a very beautiful piece of music and many uh, a choir and orchestras do them. But re- you have to remember, it was written for mass. Wow. And it's, it's kind of interesting. I, uh, when I was at uh, in Austin, I would go to the uh, Butler School of Music to teach the organ students about requiem mass because there were so many pieces of music that they were learning and they didn't, they couldn't connect the, the music that they were singing with actually, this was part of a rite and a mass for someone who was dead. And the, the generally it was for the nobility of Europe that they would commission these masses be said. So the great composers of Europe would do the, these masses um, and they were masses. And it's kind of Mozart realized that the, the nobility didn't want to stay more than 45 minutes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Another question I have is as mm-hmm. a person who, um, is consecrated to the blessed mother, yes. the, uh, ma- the medal is very important. Will there be maybe some there that are going to be blessed that day? Cause, uh,
2: I don't know if it's a miraculous medal or, or things. I'm not sure. We weren't planning on doing that kind of thing. Um, just because the, the mass and the consecration itself was there. And, mm-hmm. um, if someone brought them, I would certainly bless them. Bless them. them. Sure. Well,
0: I know that in Father Gately's book,
2: he, mm-hmm. he says,
0: "Get it blessed. Go to confession. Get any extra confessions right. this week? No.
2: Just the normal <laughs> maybe extended I, I, well, time, maybe. <laughs> no. And in fact, uh, I, hate, I, I I have to go to. I forgot to tell the parish that I have to go to St Joseph's School this Wednesday for a penance service, and so I might not be back for confessions on time on Wednesday because mm. I have to hear the the children's confessions for Lent over at St. Joseph's School.
0: Oh, I'm so glad to know that because as a parent of a St. Joseph School children, I did not know they will be having confessions on Wednesday. So that's good Wednesday, I think,
2: I'm going to say, you'll have to check with the school which grades are going, but um, I know I'm going to be there Wednesday, I believe at 10.30 is when the the school's having confession.
0: Yep, that sounds like right after the middle school, high school, the upper campus mass. They have a, a, a mass at 9.20, so that sounds like it's right after that. Right, so, so it'll be good to know. I'll be praying because for
2: because we'll kid. be in the confessionals. I believe at Saint Joseph. So,
0: okay, well, Father, this has been very educational. Um, I have to say, and in Thanksgiving, to learn more about this, just just hearing you even talk about the mass in this way is just giving me just a really great feeling of peace. And mm-hmm. I want to thank you for bringing this to our community. You're welcome. Is there any? Um, on the horizon as well. Do you have a, your eye on another feast day that you might want to be doing? This we'll have so to we have see. We'll
2: like... have to see what people want. It, ah. it's, always, it's usually give me a feast day that's not during. I, I'm potentially maybe Ascension Thursday would mm. be a, a place where we could do it because the Novus Ordo moves the Ascension to Sunday, mm-hmm. and that would be an open date where we could do something for you.
0: And where is Jesus. Ascension? At, well, but Divine Mercy is just right after Easter, so Ascension is much l- later. Right, than it's that.
2: forty days after. Um, it's that 40 days and that's that Thursday
0: so excellent well this is our wrap up time I can't thank, thank you, you enough so much. welcome to Aggieland you are just an amazingly wonderful fit for us uh, yes <laughs> the people here have been very hungry for this mass so thank you for bringing it to us God knew what he wants thank you you're welcome um, and with that I would like for you to give us and uh, our radio listeners your blessing sure. before we, we close today
2: we'll do it in Latin. how's that
0: oh ah, that's awesome and then a little French too maybe
2: you either one or the other. Yeah. Which would you prefer? Latin. Okay. Benedictus ad nos omnipotent Deus, pater et fidios et spiritus sanctus.
0: Amen. Amen. And so on a personal note... Oftentimes at your homilies, you'll say, there's this expression in French, and then you'll say it in English, so can I just put mm. my two cents in to say it in French first? Because <laughs> I want to, I really want to expose, I love languages. Uh-huh. I adore languages. So anytime I can hear, and French is not one I've been very exposed to,
2: so please you know, uh, uh, use French more. We always say we'll have to do a French mass too. Yeah, there we go.
0: Well, thank you again, Father Albert, for joining me today. You and want. I want to tell our radio listeners: uh, do your best and go today, and love your neighbor.